Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. And today we are still working through Systematic Theology 2, and we're now working through the doctrine of salvation, uh, also known as soteriology. Uh, Last time we talked about election, and so today we want to talk about a few different topics that we're just going to kind of clump together in this one episode, but we're going to talk about the effectual call, regeneration, and adoption. Um, Now, each one of these topics are, they're rather large in their own right, uh, and they're all wonderful doctrines, but we're going to talk about them together in this one episode and just give a basic synopsis of them, um, because frankly, We'll be doing this till 2030 if we don't. Yeah, and I actually, I, I wanted to speak to that because uh, in some of these, we're not touching on them as deeply as we could. Um, and the reason is we're doing a systematic theology as a whole. We're not dealing with just soteriology. If we were if we were to, and someday we'll probably do that, We'll when, if we were to dig deep into any one of these doctrines, then all of a sudden it becomes a multi- Yes. A podcast on these because they, they are deep things um, and 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 there's challenges and differences of opinion but that we're not dealing with just the doctrine of soteriology we're doing a whole systematic theology and sorry yeah <laughs> all right so with that having said we'll start off with the first one which is called the effectual call uh, so when it comes to the idea of the call or being called in terms of salvation, Reformed theology will typically make a distinction. Um, first of all, there's what's called the general call. Um, that is that, that general call in which all people are called to repent from their sin and turn toward faith in Jesus Christ. Um, would you read the Yeah, quote? So, so John Murray in Redemption, Accomplished and Applied, Uh, He'll say, we may properly speak of a call which is not in itself effectual. Um, That is often spoken of as the universal call of the gospel. The overtures of grace and the gospel addressed to all men without distinction are very real, and we must maintain that doctrine with all its implications for God's grace on the one hand and for men's responsibility and privilege on the other. And again, we would say, if you haven't bought that little book, buy it. Yes. Um, It's dense, it's heavy, but it is incredible. Yeah. Um, so let's give some examples of what we mean. So Isaiah 55, one says, ho, everyone who thirsts come to the waters and you who have no money come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. There he's just calling Israel who was in rampant disobedient to come and repent. Um, in Matthew 11, verse 18, uh, it says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or Matthew twenty-two fourteen: For many are called, but few are, in fact, chosen. Yeah. So that's the general call. Yeah, and that's a good one because it's many are called, but few are chosen. So already here we can begin to see some kind of distinction being made. Yes. Um, so that's general call. It's a general call for all men to repent 
and believe. And those are only a few of the ones we could. Yeah, I mean, many. so many, in fact, in the Armenian world, or what people will often call the Ar Armenian world, um, they code a passage and they're like, yeah, but it says this and it's being offered to everyone. Well, nobody in Reformed theology is debating that. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're like, of course they are. The, the call is there. Um, and But what gets read into that is, well, then that means that they all must be capable of coming. It's like, that doesn't say that right. anywhere. It just simply is that call. Yes. So, yeah, so that, again, general call. Uh, but then, again, we're going to make this distinction. The second one is now what we're calling effectual call. And this is that unique call that actually and always draws people to Christ. Note the word always. Yes. So again, John Murray, it is striking that in the New Testament, the terms for calling when used specifically with reference to salvation are almost uniformly applied, not the universal call of the gospel, but to the call that ushers men into a state of salvation and therefore effectual. There is scarcely an instance where the terms are used to designate the indiscriminate overture of the grace in the gospel of Christ. So he acknowledges there's a couple of instances, a few, that would be indiscriminate, but the vast majority are very, very specific, which leads us to terminology. Yes. Um, so the first one is the kaleo uh, group, which is where we get the word call. Yes. Um, examples, in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And if you know the story of Paul and his conversion, you know that he had no say in that. Christ shows up, he's converted, and he's made apostle. I, I mean, <laughs> it's just, that's what you're going to be now. In 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you have made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Or 2 Peter 1.10, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. That one's interesting because he, he, he also acknowledges that you can think you're called, but that doesn't mean you are called. Right. I always get really annoyed when I'm in certain uh, forums on Facebook where people are talking so arrogantly against somebody else. Like some guy in Reform Pub the other day just made his little post. John Piper is an apostate. I'm just like... <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, so I go to the guy's, you know, page and there's this young guy and he's got this cool looking little mustache he's working. And I'm just like, you yeah, you barely can grow a mustache well. And and you but you've you've determined in your grand wisdom to make that that edict against a brother in Christ. Yeah. Um and and clearly this man is assuming he's not an apostate. And I'm like, well, let's see. Let's see. Once you get to John Piper's age, let's see if you're still believing. Yeah. Many say they're called, but that doesn't mean that they are. And and First Peter, actually, or Second Peter, chapter one, actually deals with what does it look like to affirm that you're truly one who has been called and elected. That's the choosing. So, Paul, this is coming from the New International Dictionary of New Testament theological. Theology. Yeah, but there's two T's there. What, New Was Testament? That a typo? No, New Testament theology. NTT. Oh, New Testament. Testament is a yes. T. <laughs> <laughs> I went to seminary <laughs> a long time ago. Anyhow, Paul uses this word group almost ex always with the sense of a divine calling. And Paul understands calling as the process by which God calls those whom he has already elected and appointed 
out of their bondage to this world. Why? So that he may justify and sanctify them, such as Romans 8.29, and bring them into his service. When Paul says that God's decision is not dependent on works, but solely on him who calls, such as Romans 9.11, he is stressing the unfaltered choice of God. Sure, it's not unfettered? Yeah, it might be. Might be unfettered. I think it probably is the unfettered choice of God, but could be unfaltered. Well, which we all is, know I'm very yeah. talented in my typing. So. Well, that doesn't matter. Uh, sometimes autocorrect is not our friend, um, <laughs> which is not influenced by human preconditions. It alone brings men to faith and is able to preserve them in it, which is actually important because that means that when we're dealing with calling, it's not election. God in eternity past has elected those whom he will save. Now, the concept of the effectual call is now in space and time, right? Yes. So there's that moment, you know, people, I, I use this illustration, people listen to the gospel 10 million times. They're, they're going to a church, and then one day it all makes sense. Well, what happened? God called you. Yes. That's all. Uh, the gospel didn't change. Um, it wasn't an un unusually good sermon. That, that, that's why it annoys me when people say, you know, I feel like I should just read sinners in an angry, in the hands of an angry God. You know, like somehow there's some mass magical power in his sermon. There wasn't. He had preached that many, many other times and nothing happened. But it was on that day that he preached that everyone knows about. That's when God, in a unique way, called many, many people. We actually had a great revival or awakening. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let me also say on the, just kind of an unrelated point, but a lot of people will use the term. I don't know if you wrestled with this when you were thinking about pastoral ministry, but I remember that I did with, am I called to this? You know, and I have had people ask me that in past as well. How do you know if you're called to the ministry? Well, the vast majority of the Kalao language is re is in reference to salvation. Right now, Paul will use it. I was called an apostle, or something like that. My response to people is, you don't know if you're called to be a pastor. You'll know if you're called to be a pastor when you're a pastor, right? Um, and and you're qualified, right? And and what I would say, the language that's better to use is you you right now are desiring to be a pastor. Yeah. Because First Timothy three, it is a trustworthy statement deserving a full acceptance if a man desires to the office of an elder. Um, it's a good work. Yeah. So if you just have a subjective, well, I feel like God is is calling me to this. You don't know that. You you have a desire right now, but don't use the language of calling. You'll know you're called when you are a pastor. Well, and that's a really, in fact, I actually use that and then go immediately that Paul doesn't leave it there. It doesn't say if it's a good work that he desires to do and therefore make them. He then immediately gives objective qualifications. qualifications. Yes. And that's what makes you know. So if you want to be a man pugnacious or don't manage your household, I don't care what you think you were called to do. <laughs> you're not called. Yeah. Um, even if you have the title of pastor, you're not even called. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, you're in a place you don't belong. Right. Uh, another, you want to take the next one? Which one are we on? Uh, El Cuo. Okay, El Cuo. Uh, John 6, 44, um, that famous verse, uh, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That word draw is El Cuo. Uh, and That's a great I, one. Yeah, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, the word here means to tug, to draw, to drag, um, literally. Um, it's, it's the idea of a sword being drawn or unsheathing. It's used that way in John 18.10. It's used of a person being forcibly led or dragged. You'll see that in Acts 21.30. You'll have uh, a, a net hauling in or dragging in 
like a, a catch of fish or something? That was a Federal Express vehicle that needs a muffler change just driving by during that point. Just thought the listeners might like to know that. Hauling mail? Yes, or it Amazon is, packages. Hel, is Helcuo? Never mind. Oh yeah, um, they, yeah, yeah. You good? No, that's a good. They're um, dragging passages to <laughs> you people ordering on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, it's also used in a legal technical sense to be led by force or dragged into court. James two uh, six, and then figuratively, it'll also be used as a strong pull in a mental or moral sense, where a person is 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 drawn or being attracted to whether it's something good or bad. So. The idea, it, it's very, it's a, it's a passive verb though. Used in a, it comes across in a passive sense. It's, there's something happening to the object. Right. It's being dragged or pulled. But what's powerful in the passage is the absoluteness. No one will come to Christ unless the Father is the one who does the drawing. And then the promise is not, well, if they choose to, because they are also promised to be then raised up. Uh, on the last day. So just as certainly as they'll be raised up on the last day is just as certain as those whom the Father draws will come. Right. And that's that calling, that moment where all of a sudden you're dragged, and not against your will, you're dragged into faith, if you yes. will. It's, there's this transference. Yeah. So some additional concepts then related to the effectual call is also the language of being divinely enabled to see. Sometimes it's talked about as understand or respond. Mm -hmm. Um, so to your point, it's, it's not against their will because in a sense, their will has been changed, which we'll get into in a moment with regeneration. Yes. So, so examples of this would be Luke chapter eight, verse 10. And he said to you, it has been granted to know. So it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest, it is in parables. Why is it in parables? So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So why did they know? Because it was granted that they could know. Yeah. Why did the others not know? Because it was not granted for them to know. Right. That's painful. Yeah. And also good commentary on the purpose of parables, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> to hide meaning sometimes. Uh, John 6, 6, 5, you wanted this one? Yeah. Uh, he was saying, for this reason, I have said to you that no one can come to me. Now it's a slightly different term, unless it's been granted him from the Father. So again, he's just piling that on. Uh, no one will come to Christ unless God is the Father has granted it for him to come. Yeah. Very powerful. And then Acts 16, 14, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Um Notice the Lord had to first open her heart to be able to respond to those things. I want to say that that's an infinitive of purpose, too. The purpose of the opening was to, to respond. respond. Exactly. Um, it's been a while, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. And then First Thessalonians, Thessalonians 1.5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So again, here's here's an idea that many people hear the general call. That's where the gospel comes to you in word only, right? Uh, but for the called, it comes with power in the Holy Spirit because there's this regenerating thing going on. Uh, and full conviction. It changes you. Something radical has happened. Um, and anyone, even I've spoken to so many who will hold 
so strongly to an Arminian doctrine. But when you ask them to share their gospel, I mean, them coming to the gospel, they describe that that way. That's like, I don't know. There's just, I, I couldn't sleep. I, I didn't have peace. I was just crying out for peace. And, and I, I kept asking the Lord, change my heart. It's like, you're using so many reformed ideas here. And then, I don't know, just something happened. And they, they don't know what happened because right. it, it, it is something God did to them. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's very humbling. Um, so I would argue a lot of Arminians are not really Arminians, except theologically, but in practicality, they're, they're yeah. not. Sure. Anyhow, the effectual call then ultimately will con- climaxes with two concurrent events. Um, and those two are regeneration and faith. Yeah. Now, we're going to sound like we're going to talk out both sides of our mouth here in a second. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because in, in the Reformed view, regeneration logically precedes faith. Uh, whereas in a non-Reformed view, faith precedes regeneration. That would be like a, an Arminianism or something like that. But the way the Bible describes these things is these are concurrent events, right? Faith and regeneration. Where's that line? Where does this? Yeah, it's it's hard. Yeah. Theologically, I think we can make that distinction. But when you're yeah. looking at the scripture, it's it never says, and so you must be born again, but that won't happen until first year. I mean, and you can't believe until you've been born again, Nicodemus. So wait for the new regeneration that comes sovereignly from God in his sovereign call that's due to an, uh, an electing work in time past. None of that. You don't get that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, and so someone asked a question on our Facebook page about ordo salutis, which is the Latin phrase for order of salvation. Just asking, where can you get that? Um, and I pointed him to Louis Demarest's book on cross and salvation, because in chapter one, he gives a whole bunch of different ordo salutis. What would ordo saluti? I don't know what the plural is in Latin, but, but, uh, but um, I told him, I said, look, ordo, ordos, orders of salvation, they're, they're just logical constructs. That's important to know, though. Yeah, and they're not ultimately all that helpful because people will find an ordo salutis and then try and derive a theology from it. But what you have to understand is the ordo salutis are always derived from a, a theology itself. Right. So your theology is going to determine what you understand the order of salvation to be. Yeah. Now, we actually dealt with this a little bit. Um, the, the order of salvation the Bible gives, an example of that would be out of Romans 8. Yeah. Uh, those whom he foreknew, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that, but that doesn't answer, most people want the order in between those words. Right. And that's where those things come in. And man, some vicious debates. Yep. And why that Romans one, uh, 8 passage is also difficult for developing an ordo salutis is because they're all written in the same verb tense. Yeah. They're all, it's a string of aorists. Uh, and so even that's not necessarily giving you a temporal Right indication because of anything. It, yeah, that's an excellent point, actually. Um, so keep that in mind, though. Is we would we would say if you still don't know what we're talking about, what we're saying is this: in the Reformed understanding, we would say, "Why do you believe? Because you were regenerate or born again. God had done that to you." Where an Arminian side would say, "Why? How are you born again? You must first believe that." So. It, yeah. it, maybe that'll help you. I grew up in my youth in the, you must be born again, how you have to ask Jesus in your heart. You need to express faith and then God will give you new birth. Right. Um, and since 
I've since then obviously I've abandoned it. So that gets into regeneration. Yes. Um, let me talk quickly about the Old Testament because there's actually little discussion on this topic in the Old Testament, which then leads some to conclude that regeneration is something unique to the New Testament. And then that leads <laughs> to the mixing of the new birth and the indwelling of the Spirit. So we would tell you, go back and listen to our podcast on Spirit filling, Spirit indwelling, and regeneration. Baptism. Yeah. Spirit baptism. Oh, maybe that's it. Yeah. Anyhow, find that one. <laughs> indwelling of the Spirit. Search under that. Um, because, and if if possible, we'll, maybe we can add the links uh, to that one in our show notes. But um, it, it will be helpful when we get into that really in depth. But the realities of sin are such that regeneration is actually a theological necessity throughout time. In fact, we would argue from the New Testament that the Old Testament required that regenerating work. Yes. So John 3, 3 through 10, that's the one where Nicodemus comes to Christ. That's the definitive passage on regeneration. <clears throat> and so in uh, chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered Nicodemus and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I might hasten to add, we're still in the Old Covenant. Yes. Um, the the Gospels are. Yeah, yeah, the Gospels are still, they're part of the Old Testament in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people miss that, and so they try to make it a New Covenant Gospel, but it's, I don't mean it like that, a Gospel in the sense that John wrote a Gospel, that that's what I mean. And you have to understand that it's not yet the New Covenant. Christ's death is what brought the New Covenant in, So, and it was fully inaugurated in the outpouring of the Spirit. Pentecost. Right. right. So, um, but then in verse 10, Jesus rebukes him, which assumes that this concept is actually knowable from the Old Testament. So he says uh, in verse 10, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? And so again, the implication is that regeneration, though dimly pres present, can be understood from the Old Testament. And that makes the Old Testament, a re an, a, a it means Regeneration, rather, is an Old Testament reality. Yeah, because he says, you must be born again to see the king. And Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb, can he? Jesus says, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not know these things? So to your point, he's he's saying what's implied there is you should know this. Why? Because you know the Old Testament. So it's there. Um, and in the parallel structure. <laughs> One day, he and I are going to have an online debate. Yeah, and we'll charge fees for you to watch. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so that's Old Testament uh, ideas. In New Testament, though, let's talk about this, some terminology. Um, the first word would be polygenesia, often just translated as regeneration. Uh, two compound words, polyne, which means again, and then genesia or genesis, birth or origin, so born again. Examples would be Matthew 19, 29, uh, and then also Titus 3, 5. Here's the Titus passage. He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, there's the word, and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Um, and so th th this is used for setting, the, the terms used often for setting a new order in the person. It's, it's a work that's being performed by God on man. And again, there's no indication here of any type of cooperation between God and man. That's the big one. Uh, I remember debating with a, 
uh, early on in my ministry here uh, with an elder, and he was arguing from this passage that um, you have to believe to be uh, regenerate. And I'm like, where? Where? There's not, there's not a single statement of faith or your responsibility. This is all something that God has done. In fact, the, the main verb is he saved us. Um, and what, how did he save us? According to his mercy. And what was the means by that? By washing and regenerating, in regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. That's the means. And all of that is a, a God word act. It's not something that we are God given act. He's not, we're not doing it for him. He's doing it to us and not a hint of faith. Right. Anyhow, uh, then ganao, a word group, often translated to be born or beget. Uh, when it's used by John, it's almost exclusively. That's important to note, uh, is connected with the point of origin. So you're born of God in John 1.13, uh, where it says, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you were born of God, not any other way. Or in 1 John chapter 2, 29, 3, 9, 4, 7, 5, 1, verse 4, and verse 28 of chapter 5 as well. Those are actually some of the strongest passages to indicate that regeneration is a work of God and that it does precede faith. An example would be John 5, 1, 1 John 5, 1. Um, yeah. Commonly, it's shown, as, um, it's shown to teach that faith results in the new birth. However, it's exact opposite. Um, it says, whoever is born believes that Christ is I'm messing that up. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. Um, and, and this is a key passage for us to understand. Yeah, so it's, it's quite literally, whoever believes, it's just in the original, it's a participle. The believing ones in Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, well, these are the ones who have been born of yeah, God. Yeah, that's perfect tense, right? Um, I believe that's perfect tense, and well, and so what it says is that they've already been born of God. That's why they're the believing ones. Yep, they're two participles. Yeah, the the believe the ones believing that Jesus is the Christ are the ones in the state of having been born of God. Right is how it would fumbly be translated if you're doing it and more it, rigidly. It just doesn't work out in the English, which is why. People look at this and say, see, 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 and it's like, yeah, no, but then they shake their head because you're like getting into Greek and they think you're just pulling the wool over their right. eyes. Um, okay, well, another word is anaginao. Uh, this is just often translated as being born. It's used typically by Peter and I, I believe in two cases, and in both of those cases, it's in the passive uh, voice, uh, which means that it's God who is the one causing this birth of the new birth. So you have been born again. You didn't born yourself. Um, God birthed you, so to speak. Well, and even in our own, the, the, the terminology of just birth. Yeah. What did you do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you had no say in it from start to finish. You, <laughs> you know, uh, there was something that happened between a man and a woman and you came into being, um, Apokuo is another one that's translated being brought forth. Uh, that's used in James 1.18, where it says, in the exercise of his, God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So uh, the brought us forth is that apokuo, 
How was it done? By the exercise of his will. The means was by the word of truth. For what purpose? So that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Again, very simple. Um, God is the one doing all the work. Yeah. Next word would be sudopoyao. Uh, Say that three times for yeah. us. Well, that one's got that soon preposition. Yes. Um, so it's translated often as being made alive. This that soon coming together withness. You're being brought into life, kind of thing. Ephesians two five. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, uh, we were made to God made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Again, here God is the one doing the work of making us alive. And again, a, a, a dead person can't make themselves live. Yeah, and that soon uh, prefix is why the New American Standard adds the word together. So made his life together where? With Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that new birth is where God joins us yes. with Christ, which is another beautiful uh, emotional thing in my eyes that we were dead. And then God in his grace made us alive together with Christ. And, and so that's why Paul says, by grace, you've been saved. It's just grace. Yeah. Um, such a sweet one. Um, Kaina and Katissus. Is that, uh, I'm looking at the transliteration. I think I got it right. Yeah. Um, it's new or new creature. Uh, in first Corinth, is that first Corinthians or second? Corinthians 5.17. <laughs> I always get that one actually wrong. And so I'm really reluctant to, it's either 1st or 2nd Corinthians 5.17. I want to say 1st, which means it's going to be 2nd, because I'm always wrong on it from memory. Anyhow, uh, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I did a little bit more literal translation there, because it's not old things. It's literally the old, the old that we were in, belonging to the old man, belonging to being in Adam. That's all passed away, and now we belong to that which is new, which is part of that is that new covenant. But everything that's connected to Christ, we share in that. And it is, Second Corinthians. Yes. I'm always wrong. <laughs> um, this speaks of a transference of a person out of one age or kingdom and into the new one. It speaks of the great work that Christ has done and how those in Christ become partakers of this new kingdom that is now and not yet. Yeah. So there, there is a, a close connection between what some would call an initial renewal, meaning regeneration, and then a progressive renewal, meaning sanctification. Uh, so one dictionary says it this way. It says in the gospel of John, Christ assures Nicodemus that there are no spiritual activities, no seeing or entering God's kingdom without regeneration. Conversely, in the epistle of first John, John insists that there is no regeneration that does not issue in spiritual activities. Um, they, they're one, they go hand in hand. If, if you're regenerated, it will produce spiritual activities, but you can't do those holy spiritual activities if you've not yet been first regenerated. Right. Um, and one of those would be faith. Yes. That's the first. It's the initial one. Yeah. Yeah. Cause faith is not a work. Right. We are not saved by works. No. Um, and it's actually part of the gift that Ephesians, part of the gift that Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 talk about. But yes. Uh, then Guthrie says in his New Testament theology with Paul, the process of renewal, which follow uh, from regeneration are progressive and may be summed up as sanctification. Renewal cannot precede regeneration, but it does accompany it. So again, you, you will not have a saved person who will not produce works unto sanctification. 
And the only reason, again, they can do that is because they've been regenerated. So examples of that would be Ephesians 4.23, Romans 6.4, 2 Corinthians 4.16. Okay, and then the next one would be adoption. Um, now, there's both a, sim- a similarity and a dissimilarity between the idea of adoption and regeneration, and they are separate doctrines. The point of similarity is that familial concept of being born or your sonship. Uh, Vine uh, gives a key point of dissimilarity when he says adoption is a term involving the dignity of relationship of believers as sons. It's not a putting into the family by spiritual birth, but a putting into the position of a son. That's, yeah, that's so, a nice little distinction there. So it's a status. Yes. Uh, so Murray, in his book on redemption, accomplishment, applied, he writes this, too frequently adoption has been regarded as simply an aspect of justification or as another way of stating the privilege conferred by regeneration. It's much more likely that these acts of grace, these blessings themselves, however precious they are, such as justification and regeneration, do not indicate what is conferred by the act of adoption. By adoption, the redeemed become sons and daughters of the Lord God Almighty. They are introduced into and given the privileges of God's family. Neither justification nor regeneration expresses precisely that. A text which sets forth the special character of adoption is John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right, the authority, to become children of God, to those who believe on his name. So primary word for this blessing is huiothesia, uh, I yeah, guess, yeah. Uh, huiothesia, uh, Romans 8, 5, uh, 15, Romans 8, 23, 9, 4. Um, and so keep that in mind that when you're talking about being adopted, you're not talking about new birth or regeneration. They're separate. Um, but it, it speaks of moving into a new relationship that God confers upon you. And with it comes all those rights and privileges of being a son or daughter of our yeah. Lord. Yep. So in conclusion, these are these are just some of the, what we'll just call sub-doctrines that fall under that greater doctrine of salvation. And as we said earlier, a lot more could be said about these, um, but this is all we're going to say. <laughs> Uh, and it's sufficient for a podcast, okay? Um, and there's there's a lot of major doctrines that we do want to address, though, such as justification, the issue of faith, the union with Christ, those kinds of things. And we'll spend a bit more time on those. Um, but having said that, because we said less on these, that does not mean that these are therefore less important. Uh, it just means that those other doctrines, like justification for sure, uh, and then faith as well, they just require more explanation. So, That will be our plan starting next time. Uh, And so until then, make sure to tune in, join this conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on these topics. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Connect with us as always on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell a friend. 